for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. House Bill 704, officially known as an act to establish the Joint Legislative Study Committee on the Division of Local School Administrative Units, was passed by the General Assembly on June 29th and sent to Governor Cooper the next day. The bill sets up a legislative study committee to explore breaking up large school districts in North Carolina. Wake and Mecklenburg are the two largest. As of our show taping, the governor has neither signed or vetoed the bill. Supporters of the bill say school systems may have grown too big to serve its students and families well, while opponents of the bill worry the law will lead to resegregation of the state's public schools. We'll discuss on this week's show. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The State Board of Education has filed an appeal in its lawsuit against the North Carolina General Assembly and State Superintendent Mark Johnson. Their suit claimed the new state law that shifted some of the board's responsibilities to new Superintendent Johnson is unconstitutional. A panel of three Superior Court judges disagreed. Superintendent Mark Johnson and Senate Leader Phil Berger praised the ruling with Superintendent Johnson saying, for too long, the lack of clarity about DPI leadership has fostered a system of non-accountability, while State Board Chairman Bill Covey called the ruling inexplicable. The State Board has asked for a bypass, bypass provision so the case can go directly to the North Carolina Supreme Court. Most observers expect the case will ultimately be decided there. Our state's public schools dropped by Enrollment dropped by 5,562 students this year, according to new data released just last week by the state. Meanwhile, charter schools, home schools, and private schools gained 23,880 students. Traditional public schools still educate the vast majority of students, with 1.4 million children, representing about 82% of the state's students. But the share of students has declined from about 87% in 2010-2011. The State Board of Education this week approved $2.5 million in cuts at the Department of Public Instruction, including $1.6 million in staff reductions. The cuts were mandated by the North Carolina General Assembly in the recent state budget. Another $737,000 in cuts are expected in the coming weeks to meet the budget. DPI's District Transformation Division and Educator Effectiveness Division are bearing the brunt of these job cuts. Now, these two groups work with low-performing schools across North Carolina and train and support teachers. DPI expects to notify all terminated employees by August 1st. Finally, girls' participation in AP Computer Science tests boomed last year. About 29,700 girls took either the AP Computer Science test or a new exam that debuted this year, AP Computer Science Principles, according to data released by Code.org, which is a nonprofit that supports computer science education. More than 111,000 students took the test in all, which is twice as many as the previous year. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. Now, as I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about House Bill 704 today. The bill was co-sponsored by three Republican legislators, Representative Chris Malone of Wake County, Representatives Bill Brawley and John Bradford, both of Mecklenburg County. We're picturing them on the screen right now. We're picturing them because we invited all three legislators to appear on the show and talk about why they sponsored the bill, but unfortunately all three declined citing schedule conflicts. 
we actually asked for statements on why they believe the bill is important, so I could share those with you too, but those weren't provided either. But we'd rather talk, have the sponsor on to talk about it, and we will share more information about the bill, but we felt the issue was important enough to proceed with a show about it, and we have two outstanding guests to talk about it. They are Representative Rosa Gill. Representative Gill is in her fourth term in the North Carolina House. She is serving um, here out of Wake County. She is an educator by uh, her profession, was a 23-year teacher, actually taught, we talked earlier, taught math at my daughter's uh, high school, Enloe High School here in Raleigh. You also serve on the K-12 committee in the House. And next to Representative Gill is Senator Floyd B. McKissick, Jr. Senator McKissick is in his sixth term as a North Carolina senator, representing Durham and Granville counties. You serve as the senior Democratic leader in the Senate. Um, and you're also an attorney by trade, graduate of Duke University Law School. Thank you. So thanks for being here, both of you. I'm going to start, um, I'm just going to get both of your reactions. Representative Gill, the bill started in the House. Um, you're a House member. You've expressed some concerns about, well, this is a study, but the idea, the notion behind it, which is to break up large school districts in North Carolina. What are your concerns? Well, my first concern is uh, the resources. You know, if we break up school districts, then we'll have uh, small areas where those who have will have the resources necessary for their kids to be well, uh, to meet their potential. And those that do not have will uh, suffer. And, and that appears to mean like it's going back to separate and unequal. <clears throat> so that's my greatest concern. Uh, how do you divide the resources that are allocated to the county, uh, that, that's going to be the biggest question. The other one is, uh, how do you determine the, in addition to the dollars, the allocation of resources and the teachers in the, these smaller districts? You know, right. so, so there are lots of concerns. And if this is a study, I hope that we will be able to answer most of those. Well, your, your, your comment about the, um, um, about the resources is important. We've t we talk about school finance a lot on Education right. Matters, and we talked about equity. And as a matter of fact, I've looked into it. I mean, North Carolina actually ranks fairly high nationally in terms of equity across the state. And one of the things that are one of the reasons is because of larger school districts. So in a county, you represent Wake County. It's a big county. There are, look, there's poverty here. There are areas that are, are poor. There are areas that are, are more affluent. But the schools are supported, you know, equitably. Um, and that's one of the things that I guess what you're getting at is that when you, if you have little pockets, um, maybe the, the small county, the small town that has money is going to have a much better school system than a town just 20 minutes away. Right. Yeah. Senator McKissick, your thoughts as a senator and um, just about this uh, sort of responding to what Representative Gill said about any concerns you have. Well, I mean, resource allocations is uh, part of the issue, but I think uh, another significant part of the issue is the potential for us to resegregate, racially uh, resegregate our schools in this state. I mean, back in 1960, you had somewhere about 167 um, local units or the boards of yep. education, and there were 45 mergers that occurred in our state including Durham City and the Durham County Public Schools, Raleigh City and Wake County Public Schools, High Point, uh, uh, Greensboro and, and Guilford County. But it allowed for racial uh, integration. Right. And I think that's very, very, very important. I, I would hate to see us go back to a time where we had predominantly white, 
are predominantly black school systems, as we did in Durham, right. um, as a result of us going back, looking at some better way potentially to manage our schools. I mean, even though Wake County today is one of the 15th largest uh, school districts in the United States, it's gotten accolades for its management. It's gotten accolades for the magnet schools. It's gotten accolades and recognition due to the, you know, the type of decreases that we've seen between racial disparities and student performance. Right. We've seen a decrease in the number of people dropping out of school. Uh, we've seen an increase in the number of kids graduating from schools. Right. Why would we want to turn our back on what has been a successful system and a successful program that's really well served our state and we look at what we've done in North Carolina as a national model in terms of merging systems to achieve racial balance and equality, as well as equal access to educational opportunities, which gets back to the resource allocation right. issue. And the mergers that you're talking about, I mean, Representative Gill, you know this. Um, I mean, those, the ones that uh, Senator McKissick just mentioned, those were primarily court-ordered um, or legislatively mandated specifically to, uh, because of segregation. And we're going we're to have a, a great guest on the second half who was involved in some of that work. But that's, that's a fair concern, right? Yes, it is. <clears throat> All we have to do is look at the, the counties in which we have more than one school district and how they're faring and, and make a comparison. And that should give us an idea of what can happen if we divide the larger counties. Take the Asheville schools and the Buncombe County schools. And then you go to the Halifax schools and the, and the different school districts that are there. Uh, we really, really, really need to think very, very carefully before we start dividing up uh, school districts in order to accommodate a few. Senator, um, last comment from you. Are, do you. are you concerned about the elimination of things like these diversity policies and also the rise of sort of school choice, private school vouchers, which uh, we'll get into that a little bit with Dr. Sure. Flood. Does it, does overall, is it a bad trend for public education? I think it's a terrible trend. I think we really need to do all that we can to double down and invest in our quality public schools here in this state. Uh, over the years, there's been an incremental uh, movement to destabilize them through increasing the number of charter schools. Charter schools can be good. Right. Uh, charter schools can be uh, models for academic innovation, but the data that's come in nationally shows that only 15% of the kids that go to charter schools do better, 25% do about the same, and 60% perform worse. And there's also been a tendency to move toward opportunity scholarships to send kids to private schools. We need to double down on our traditional public schools to make sure they have the assets, the resources that they need, right. so that all of our students have an opportunity to achieve the type of education they deserve that our state constitutional constitution provides for, and so they have the potential to get the jobs of tomorrow. Well, thank you for that excellent way to close. We appreciate the, your comments and your work in the Senate. Representative Gill, thank you for being here. Before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Wake County is the largest school district in the state serving 159,000 students. What is the average size of a school district in North Carolina? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer B? The average school district in North Carolina has about 12,000 students. 
Well, we're going to continue our conversation about House Bill 704 with Dr. Dudley Flood. Dr. Flood is a lifetime educator. In fact, he'll say he's always been a teacher in every job he's had. Um, he did teach multiple subjects, coach, served as a principal. But the reason why I invited you to come on today is because um, you joined the Department of Public Instruction as, in 1969 as a specialist in school desegregation and race relations. Spent 21 years there. Now, that, um, that was 15 years after Brown versus Board of Education that ruled that segregation was unconstitutional and must end. So I guess one question, what was there to do? Was it, it wasn't, weren't we already past that point where schools were no longer gonna be, be segregated? There was a tendency toward, moving toward, uh, first of all, separate the notion of the dual school system having the element of um, legality attached to it. Uh, we were a de jure district as opposed to the de facto districts that were north of here, on the 17 states that were de jure, that is, we had laws prohibiting the mingling of the races in, mm -hmm. in the schools. Uh, and the process had begun following Brown. However, if you recall, the mandate was, was with deliberate speed. Uh, we, we might have been better at deliberation than we were at speed. <laughs> uh, we clearly were making progress, there's any question. However, the progress was, uh, not complete, uh, in that the General Assembly of North Carolina had remanded the responsibility back to local school systems. Uh, and that was the Pearsall, is that, that, that was the historical Pearsall, Pearsall plan? Right? Yes, it was, which meant that uh, in 1969, there were actually 152 school districts. And that meant that uh, you could not have a class action suit against the state, which covered each of them. And so you had to have individual processes going on. Now, about a third of those school districts enjoined uh, in, uh, themselves in voluntary compliance, uh, known as 441 compliance, which means that they took the initiative to begin the process. And to be in compliance, they had to have evidence of a plan in place, not it having uh, concluded, but it was in place and you could measure it and see the progress was being made. About a third of districts in North Carolina did so. Many of those having been districts that had very small uh, attendance, uh, two, three schools in the district. And uh, if they made one school, um, the high school, and one school, the middle school, and one, the elementary school, they had come into compliance. Uh, in those instances where you had much larger districts, you had a much more difficult process. And in places where you had multiple districts, you had an extremely difficult process. An example being Robson County, for example, which had six school districts within it. Wow, in one county. Five local districts and then the county district. And uh, it was extremely difficult to come up with a plan that was equitable and, re and uh, legal uh, to suit each of those situations. Now, when, let me ask you, Dr. Fudge, you, when you were working for the department, I mean, you were out, uh, this is at the point now that you were out there, you and your, your, your dear friend, um, uh, Gene Cosby. Yes. You were trying to get the, you had to bring the, the school district to help them with a plan, but you were also working with the community, right, to try to help bring them along. This wasn't something that was embraced um, in 1969, 1970, right? Certainly not, and if the school district were to be successful, it had to bring the community along. Sometimes it was the other way around, the community brought the school districts along. Okay. Uh, however, they had to be in sync, uh, because that, it would be pretty easy to sabotage any, any plan with which you came up with it people were not in accordance with it. So our job was to do each of those things. We also were liaison between the 
federal government in some cases and its extension into the school system. We, we weren't on anybody's side. We helped to mitigate against the uh, bad effects uh, mm -hmm. so that the children didn't suffer. Now, you spent about 20 years working on this. I mean, yes. I guess, let me, and obviously, you're, look, you're still passionate still, about still it. I know you're working you. on it, yes. Um, do, do things like this bill to study breaking up these districts, some that were, that were brought together for integration, does that send up a red flag to you? Does that sort of make you, does that kind of hit you a little bit? I worry about uh, uh, the unintended consequence. Um, I'm, I'm reasonable enough to know that not everybody has the same motivation in, sure. in moving in this direction. But the unintended consequences is separation and a recapitulation of all that we worked for. Uh, the fact is we have several generations now, if you believe that every 15 years is a generation, of people who have gone, grown accustomed to interacting with each other. What we're still working at is developing equal status relationships among people. You're not likely to do that if you're separate. You're not likely to have any premise on which you can presume another person to be uh, equal in status, equal in capability, equal in desire, motivation, any other things, unless you've interacted with that person. And so in having done the first stage, and that was to remove the prohibitors, the legal prohibitors, which we were able to do, we didn't do well with the second stage, which would have been that if we were to have gotten into integration rather than desegregation, we would have been working then at how do you develop equal status relationships? How do you inculcate the premise that it's a moral imperative, really, that people uh, be given their uh, individual right to grow to their greatest potential? We, we voiced that, but we never acted upon and it. And that's something that, I guess, as a society, frankly, we're still working on. And so, I mean, this is why I want to, we need to understand history, right? We do, indeed. And we need to project also some of the premises that are hardly ever talked about uh, public education is an eleomarcenary concern, it, much like the fire department, much like the police department. It's not designed for my individual preference. It's, it's for the common good. Right. Well, with that, I'm going to close you on that one. We're out of time today. I, look, Dr. Flood, I appreciate you, and I appreciate your time on the show today. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me, Keith. Yes, sir. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you. This week, we spotlight Sonia Clark at Ballantyne Elementary in Fuquay, Verena. for Lego League a lot. They do robotics and they do presentations and they do something called core values which is learning teamwork and how to treat each other kindly. They look at real world problems. They have to know a solution, create a unique solution. They have to investigate what's being done right now and then they have to prove that their solution is unique. That is a guiding curiosity for them. It's not just let me make up this fake question to answer for math, it's really maybe about water pollution or it might be about animal behaviors or, or trash that's in the ocean um, that really does happen. So they end up 
seeing themselves as part of a bigger picture, part of a real world community. So I would hear kids say that they didn't like math and that that was the thing they didn't like about school. Then I thought, how? I love school and I, and I, and I love math. And they would say, well, I'm never going to use this. And I would think, yeah, yeah, you are. You're, you're going to always use this. And so I started to think of how can I make that happen. With the robots, they do all kinds of math. They do measurement, they do fractions, they do decimals. And it's a way to use math, and they don't even realize it. And it changed everything. I mean, now kids want to stay after, stay after school uh, every day. They want to do it all the time. So now math, at least with robots, is not an issue. They love it. So I have about 27 adults that regularly volunteer. Uh, this program is just very, I think, inspiring, and adults see it and they just want to be a part of it. And so it definitely has pulled our community together. We have this year, every second through fifth grader learned to build and program a robot. And that would never have happened if we didn't have companies in the community that, that believed in this program and believed in these kids. If you know someone or a program that deserves to be recognized and spotlighted, visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. By the time you're seeing this episode, Governor Cooper will have signed or vetoed House Bill 704, or simply let the bill become law. Regardless, a process will likely begin soon to review whether breaking up large school districts is a good idea. Now, let's be real, we're talking about Wake County and Mecklenburg County. In these two areas, talk about splitting off from the district by some suburban communities isn't new. In fact, two Charlotte communities, Matthews and Mint Hill, backed legislation this year to allow them to create their own separate charter school districts to serve their residents. The reason we focus a great deal on the show today on the history of segregation is simply you cannot look at school systems in the South without understanding this ugly history. It's why the courts ordered the merger of so many school districts across North Carolina in the 1960s and 70s. Brown versus Board of Education was decided by the Supreme Court in 1954, declaring school segregation unconstitutional. But as you heard from Dr. Flood, North Carolina schools were still highly segregated in 1969 when he joined the Department of Public Instruction. Now that's when I was a kid, and that's where I want to transition to. Now I saw one of my favorite comedians, Chris Rock, in an interview recently that came out as footnotes on Jay-Z's latest album. Now Chris and his family are from South Carolina. He and I are about the same age. He told a story about his, how his mother, growing up, had to go to a veterinarian for dental work because there were no dentists around in South Carolina who would treat African Americans. And even then, they had to go to the back door so white customers didn't see them being treated by the same doctor who treated their dogs. Now, this is Chris Rock's mom, who's the same age as mine. This is not ancient history, or as he joked, we're not talking George Washington Carver times. This was his mom. And this is one of the reasons why the notion of reversing school system mergers sends up red flags for so many people. Those things didn't happen in George Washington Carver times either. Issues of race can be hard to discuss. We try on this show to talk very candidly about it. 
House Bill 704 simply sets up a study committee to look at district breakups and the impact. So let's study it because the last thing we need to do is accelerate resegregation and dismantling some of the progress we have made as a state. That's it for this week's show. Next week we have another great show, including an interview with Dr. Nicole Hurd, who's the founder and CEO of the College Advising Corps, a nationally recognized organization helping make college more accessible for thousands of students across the U.S. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.